Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Welcome back, fellas. Uh, This is week nine of the digital edition of Man Challenge. Whether you're joining us on Vimeo or through podcast, either way, welcome. We're glad to have you. Uh, We finished up last week in uh, John chapter 16, so we're going to move in uh, to 17. But before we do, again, just quickly, I'm here again with uh, Mason Bramer and Joe Donaldson, and we're going to just be diving into the Word. We mentioned last week that one of our goals here is to develop a confident and competent understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, And so that, as always, is our goal as we go to the text. Um, But also we we always want to emphasize intentional, authentic male relationships. So I, I implore you men, unpack this word in community. Like spend the time in the week preparing, like diving into this yourself and praying through the text. But like come and share that with your men. Like unpack this together. Be honest about the questions you have and what's confusing, what's clear. Uh, and it will just be so rewarding to see how the word, how the, the Lord will work in and through that uh, in the form of community because that's just kind of the way he set this up. Uh, but just quickly... We saw in chapter 16 kind of the spotlight turned for a moment, if you will, to the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told his disciples that he is soon going to go away. This is his final discourse, his final teaching to his closest disciples before he goes to the cross. And he tells them that it's better for them that he goes because then the comforter, the Holy Spirit will come and will eventually dwell within them. And so we see kind of the big picture phrase is that God in us is actually even better than just God with us. Mm. Uh, So that's something we've kind of, we've wrestled with and walked through in chapter 16. Now, as we get into 17, he's going to turn in prayer. And this is going to be the longest recorded prayer of Jesus that we have in scripture. Uh, It's referred to often as his high priestly prayer. And this is the last thing he's going to do before he's betrayed in the garden and goes in uh, and works towards the cross. So that's kind of our context this week. Um, but Mason, if you will, why don't you read? We're sure. going to be uh, in chapter 17, just the first eight verses this week. Read that for us and then pray and we'll jump in. <clears throat> After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now father glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Hmm. Father, as we, <laughs> as we pray about the prayer of your son, <laughs> Lord, would you... Um, would you help us know you? Hmm. Uh, would you help us understand 
why Jesus prayed these things when he did and what that means for us today um, in terms of who you are and who we are in light of that. Would you help us understand you and know you as a father? Um, Help us perceive uh, the glory that comes with that reality. Help us uh, trust and love you for um, not what you can do for us, but for who you are. And so as we study that today, just give us an adoration. God, for those of us who believe, grow us in our belief. For those of us who are are questioning, are wondering, are curious, um, help us understand but not to lean on our understanding, but to, to give us a comprehension that moves us to faith and trust in you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. So fellas, let's just dive right into the text. Chapter 17, uh, if you were at all like me, as Mason read through that, there seems to be this one reoccurring word that comes up over and over and over. And to one extent or another, it's the word glory. Uh, so you, if you look back at the text with me, Father, the hour has come, glorify the Son that he may glorify you. I have glorified you on this earth, and now, Father, glorify me uh, in your own presence with the glory that I had with you. Like, glory, 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 glory. This Hmm. seems to be an important uh, word to John as he writes this five times in the first five verses. Um, And really, if again, if you've been hanging with John right in the beginning, the opening of John chapter 1, He kind of lays out Jesus as the word of God. And then if you jump down to verse 14, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, Mm. glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So there seems to be this theme that John is trying to convey to us, the readers of the importance of the glory of God. So Mason, I would ask, (laughs) Uh, simply, what is the glory of God and why does this seem to be so important to John to convey this to his readers and listeners? Yeah, I think that's a hard thing to answer in part because we don't see it in its fullness yet. Mm. I think the day that we see it in its fullness, mm. us as believers who see the unapprehended glory of God are going to be able to better explain it then, right? Mm. So there's my cop out for not giving you guys a great answer. Um, <laughs> But in your, if, if you're a table leader and your table leader guide or um, in, in the participant email, we drop the, the participant guide. Uh, we define glory in here as the weight or splendor of all of God's attributes, hmm. the magnitude of who he is. It's, it's the honor that comes with being God. So remember we talked about praying in Jesus's name. That was really praying hmm. according to who God is. This is sort of the honor that comes with hmm. the reality of who God is. I think of people that have been glorified in history. Mm. Alexander the Great was a, you know, expanded. There's glory attributed to to him based on what he did. Leonardo da Vinci, he is an artist, a scientist. People attribute glory to them. Today, LeBron James is glorified in our culture. Um, He's given honor and there's a fight over who deserves more glory, MJ or or LeBron, right? It's Mm. it's, what honor do they deserve? Mm. And Jesus Mm. is introducing here, the honor that both he and the father are entitled to. And not in a big word, megalomaniacal way, not in a way that is thinking, wow. that's the only way I know how to say it. Man. Not in a way that is um, selfishly self-promoting, mm-hmm. but is for our good. Mm. So we see this, this inextricable link of the glory of God and our eternal life in him, essentially. We are, those, are, those are bound to one another. The, the eternal life that we can receive is 
what you're going to talk about in a little bit is the work that Jesus did in, in reconciling mm-hmm. us to him. So a few things I think are worth catching here about glory before I end this subpar answer is one, Jesus says, glorify me, Father, as I glorify you. And then what's the very next thing he does? He gets crucified. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets killed by the people he created to know and to love him. And so there's this, and we believe this in American culture. We think suffering and glory are also inextricably linked. Mm-hmm. Like we see rags to riches stories mean way more to us than the privileged uh, arrival of someone in, in any industry. But someone who came from nothing, the suffering that is linked to that, I just think it's interesting to try and think about. God says, I want you guys to glorify me my next step is to humble myself. Mm. I'm going to empty myself on your behalf and that brings glory to me. Glory, glory, hallelujah. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I think that's super helpful. I do think also if you're a, a studier of the Bible, you'll notice this isn't some new theme just to John or even just right. the New Testament. Uh, if you go way back, a lot of people know about the Ten Commandments. Uh, even people outside the church have heard of the Ten Commandments. When, when Moses comes down the mountain with those, his face is shining so bright with the glory of God. They're like, man, somebody put a veil or a mask mm-hmm. on that guy. Like, that's bright. And I, I think we get this image in the New Testament of, of, of the glory of God coming from Jesus, but not just simply reflecting it. Uh, eventually, Moses didn't need to wear a veil anymore. Mm-hmm. Hebrews describes Jesus as the radiance of the glory of mm-hmm. God, like that it, it radiates from him. He's so much better than what everything has been pointing downstream towards, that being him. Uh, so I, I think what a great concept to meditate on, to chew on. Um, but I think just to get real practical, Joe, um, mm. I think it's great to talk about this, but when I look at like, what is our role in that? Do we play a role um, in terms of the glory of God, what what is our part in that? Yeah, well, I, it's really interesting because again, I do think that when we talk about the glory of God, we we it's by human nature we kind of bring him down to our level and we've settled for a small God. So I love the idea of really giving him the glory that he deserves. And, and, and particularly you were saying, you, you were thinking here uh, that Jesus says that you have, he has given the father glory by doing the work that he had given him. Mm. And so the idea, so well, what's the work given to us? And, uh, and as I think about that, I, I automatically, you know, I, I, people say, well, I'm doing the Lord's work. Hmm. And they're usually out doing something, you know. Uh, and I think it's a lot of times people think, well, you know, if, well, if, I, if I become a minister or I work for the church, I'm doing the Lord's work. But really, what is the work of God? And uh, as I, I've, what's funny is as I was thinking about that, a passage of scripture popped in my head. And uh, it, when I first read this, it really startled me. It's from earlier in the book of John, in John chapter 6, there are some people standing around and they asked Jesus, they asked him, this is verse 28 of John chapter 6, what must we do to do the works God requires? And that seems to be a really obvious question. Any preacher would love that. You know, what, what, what should we do next, you know? <laughs> And Jesus' answer is striking to me. Jesus answered, verse 29, the work of God is to evangelize. No, the work of God is to help the needy. No, the work of God is to, no, it says the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Mm. So it's really striking to me that Jesus said, really the ultimate work that you need to do is simply believe in me. 
Now, that's not, that's not the end of the story because if we truly believe in him, then what will we do? Um, but again, we so often run to what we ought to do for God and the very first place is just simply believe in him. But really believe, don't just, yeah, I believe in God, but this believe that's not just even an intellectual assent, but it's because if I believe in this God who's all glorious, it changes things. It humbles me, it does that. Um, you were telling earlier that you love John Piper. He has this quote, again, a, a powerful quote to me. He says, God is most glorified in me. There's this classic, you know, glory. God, God is most glorified in me, again, when I uh, sell all my possessions and move to Africa, when I, uh, when I uh, uh, you know, serve the poor, when I evangelize. No, he says, God is most glorified in me. It says, when I am most satisfied in him. Mm. And, and that idea of God is most glorified in me when I think, God, you're enough for me when I'm most satisfied mm -hmm. in him. And I, I, I just driving over here this morning, I was thinking, Lord, I, so often I'm not satisfied in mm -hmm. him. I, I want people's approval. I, I, want, uh, I want financial success. I want to attain something. I want to accomplish something. I, I want to, you know, be somebody. But it, I, I love that line. Well, what's the work of God is simply to believe in him and to be satisfied in him. And when we, and we were, you find somebody who's truly satisfied in God, mm. God gets the glory. Amen. Uh, now, now, with that thought in mind, I do think there are specific things for us. Uh, uh, that idea, there's an old uh, a quote, old, because it's, it's 1800 years old, a guy named Arrhenius, a Christian writer says, the glory of God is a man fully alive. I think God gives great glory when we really live out of what he's done for us. Mm. Uh, I also think of the, quote from uh, Eric Little uh, in Chariots of Fire, uh, you know, he's say, saying to his sister, who's saying, why aren't you doing the Lord's work? Mm. And he goes, you know what? God made me fast and I feel his, what, it's, uh, when I run, I feel his pleasure. I think God has made, made each of us mm. unique and special and, and has put us in a place uh, that, that we can do his work in his power. And, and that, that's, that's, and it, 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 that is, when you are doing that, God's glorified. When you're raising that child, when you're loving that wife, when you're working in this place, when you're finding this place that just fits you the way God made you, mm. I, I just think it's, it's an incredible thing when, uh, when we find our niche in the kingdom. Amen. And, and, and we live out of that, and I think God gets glory in that. So that's a, a really long-winded answer. I think it's super helpful. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. To do the work and of practical. God. Yeah. Um, so. I, I don't want to gloss over this. I want to take just a moment for sure to highlight it. In verse two, uh, he says, since you have given him, Jesus, given me, he could even say, authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Uh, I, I don't want to take this for granted. Jesus is saying that through him only yeah. is, is, is eternal life. I, I, there are, are men who are going to hear this for the first time, uh, that there is a correlation between Jesus in the Bible and this idea of eternal life. Yeah. And I, I don't want to gloss over that. That's perhaps the most important thing we could talk about all morning. Uh, so Joe, what is Jesus inferring there? What is he implying about his connection there to eternal life? Well, you know, and, and we, again, I, almost all religions in the world would say, have some idea of eternal life and eternal life always comes through performance. And, and Jesus saying here, no, no, eternal life comes only through me, through mm -hmm. his performance. And so, so it's only in our trusting in what he has done that we can have eternal life. 
Uh, and so I think that's, that's really, uh, to your point, really significant. I, I think the next verse that goes along with that is really significant. I may be running ahead of you. I apologize. Because uh, he then defines eternal life. Mm. Uh, I, so I, I did a, I, I don't use Facebook a lot, but I made a, just a post. I asked people, what do you think of when you think of eternal life? Mm. I got 77 comments. I was shocked. Uh, and so I get all these people and, and, uh, there was only one out of the 77 that essentially gave this next answer. Cause most people, I, I, I get it. They're talking about heaven and, and, uh, no more tears, no more sorrows. And that's all true. But this is what Jesus, this is how Jesus defines eternal life, which with, again, which I first, first read this was really surprising. He says, now this is eternal life. He goes, let me define eternal life for you. That they may know you, that's the heavenly father. And that's that, that we, us humans would know God, the father, uh, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So he says, this is what eternal life is, that, that we'll know God perfectly. Because mm. uh, I think so often we have this vim image of eternal life being uh, that, you know, we'll play golf all day or, you know, we'll all be singing and all this stuff, which is, you know, but he's saying, here's what eternal life is, that, that you'll know me completely. Mm. And uh, so I, I just think, and, and how's that going to happen? It only happens through trusting what Jesus Christ has done. So it's, to me, it's a powerful thing. He says, you, know, only, you only get eternal life through me. And oh, by the way, here's what eternal life is. You will, be, you will know and be known completely and perfectly. Um, what a promise. Yeah. And, and John would say, and as one other person put this in the Facebook, John would agree with them and say, oh, and it starts now. Hmm. Now we don't know him fully now, but we can know God now, hmm. which again, they didn't have any sense of that. God was distant and you had to go through the mediator and you still really didn't have a relationship with him. And Jesus says, oh, no, no, no. Yeah, eternal life doesn't start after we die. Exactly. It is not exclusively chronological, though it is, yes. the longevity matters, but it yeah. is in abundance, what he says. Yeah, in, in yeah. Sure. So we, don't, we can't know him fully now, but we can know God, which is, a, but and again, Jesus says, but you're only gonna know him through me. And Joe, you mentioned that of all the religions out there, uh, so many have that idea of an eternal life, but mm. Christianity is very different. Jesus yes. says, I am the only way. Yeah. And in a number of ways, he has said that throughout John, that he is the door, he is the, that he yeah. is the only way. Uh, but another way that I would say that we could say that in, Christianity is set apart fundamentally is how God himself has revealed himself to us uh, relationally. Mm. Um, and just look at how Jesus opens his prayer. Again, this is the last time, last thing he does before he goes into the worst beating and execution in the history of man. But he opens with Father. Mm. And we mentioned this last week. Yeah. Uh, and, and so now we've got a little more time to unpack it. But um, it's not just that we get to know God, but that he has revealed himself as a father to us. Uh, a really helpful book uh, that, that I'm a big fan of, and it came at just the right time mm. in my life, you could mm. say, uh, was by a Anglican named J.I. Packer. Uh, and, and just a short version of what that quote says was, you can sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. And he goes on to say that father is the Christian name for God and that our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of the doctrine, the, the idea of adoption. Um, Paul sits in this pretty long-windedly in Romans chapter 8 that the idea that we are adopted as sons, and not just our own identity as sons, but also God's identity as Father revealing that to us, is incredibly important and just 
landscape shaking of the New Testament theology that we find. And I would say it, it carries huge impact on how we pray. Mm. Um, Mason, can you maybe talk a little bit about how I, identifying God as Father, ourselves as adopted sons, how that influences how we pray, how we talk to him, how we approach him? Yeah. Um, I think starting with the, the fact that when we talk about who God is, if we are like to label, if we're giving titles or characteristics, I think Father would be one of them. Hmm. But what Jesus makes clear here is that that is preeminent. Hmm. And so um, John 17, 24, we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks, but Jesus says, before the world was created, Father, you were loving me. Hmm. And so before God is creator, which he is, he is Father. Before hmm. God is ruler, he is Father. father. And he's so that here. means that he's creating, he's ruling, he's guiding out of fatherhood. Hmm. And it does not shift the way that you perceive the God of the universe. He didn't create a world to see how things would crumble. He created out of paternal love. Mm. I just spent this last week redoing a bathroom in our home with my dad. And I think about like, I would not have done that with another random man in his fifties. The relationship there is, is allows me, and my dad is, I've got a wonderful earthly father. He is kind to me. He is patient. He is, a, he is helpful. I mean, I, I'm terrible at this stuff, man. I learned how to use a saw for the first time in my life. And you could blame my dad for that, or you could say he's a good dad for teaching me at 27. But the relationship there comes out of fatherhood. So when I pray, mm. I'm praying to a God who creates, rules, protects, provides, disciplines, loves as a father. And that should prayerfully on our end, praying for you and for me, that it should change the way we approach him. Sam knows that I quote this a lot, but my favorite, uh, my favorite man, Tim Keller, talks about the access we have to God as a father. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. Mm. And we have that kind of access. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, the tough part is, fellas, is some of, some of us have earthly fathers who have yeah. distorted that perspective. Mm-hmm. But what God, our father, is inviting you to is for that to be redeemed, to see mm-hmm. what it means to have a true, all-powerful, because what do you think about as your dad growing up? Mm-hmm. He knows everything, he can do everything, he's in charge, he's the rules, right? I mean, a lot of those things that we just kind of stereotype into dad, but our, our heavenly father is the perfect version of that. Mm-hmm. He is flawless, and he's inviting you to sonship. So that, that's gotta change, I would say, ultimately, the posture of prayer. Mm-hmm. I'm a humble, grateful mm-hmm. son, not a fearful, well, you're, you're fearful in certain ways, but in awe, not in um, horror. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah, and I would say, fellas, if this is a new concept to you, sit in that. Mm-hmm. Like maybe even unpack that with your guys and share that, that like maybe your earthly father, maybe that affects right. how you are able to see and appreciate God as father. Sit in that, mm-hmm. talk about that, explore that because he can redeem that and use that and show you what a true, perfect, loving father really is. Uh, and it will take your relationship with him to the place that it's meant mm. to be, we could say. Mm. Um, a, a question in my mind that flows out of this that kind of has been this reoccurring thing, as we have almost, it would seem, if track with me on this, uh-huh. a couple weeks ago, we really focused on the Holy Spirit 
last week we really kind of focused on Jesus as our mediator. We talked mm-hmm. about how he is as, as a teacher. This week we really are kind of focusing in on the Father. This wasn't intentional. We're just kind of hanging with the text. Right. Uh, it has led to some confusion, at least at my, my group of guys, as to like when we pray, who do we talk to? Yeah. Yeah. And so, Joe, I'm going to throw this at you. And wow. it's not meant to be a trap. Yeah. Uh, but like... Keeping in line with what you've shared and how we identify God and how that changes our willingness and readiness to approach him, uh, there seems to be some confusion. Like, do we do we pray to right. Father like Jesus does? Or should mm-hmm. we pray to Jesus because he's our mediator? Should we pray to the Holy Spirit? Who do dwells we... within us. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Like, functionally, what do we do with this? How, how Who yeah. do we pray to? Right. So, I'll have to say, I mean, I grew up in the church and... That would have been a silly question to me growing up in the church because you always prayed to God the Father. That's mm. just kind of, and you at the end you'd say you're praying in Jesus' name. But in my mind, when I was praying, I always had an understanding. I was in my mind's eye, I was praying to God the Father. And, and I do think, uh, well, I'll just share a story with that. I, when I was a high school junior or senior, I went with a friend down to UK's campus to a campus ministry thing. And uh, afterwards they went out to eat pizza and the campus ministry guy, the cool guy leading the campus ministry prayed before the meal and he prayed to Jesus. And he was just talking to Jesus and it rocked my world. Mm. I I had never heard anybody pray to Jesus. And I I didn't know if he was a heretic or if I was, (laughs) but something was wrong because I mean, he was praying in a way that I I just, it just really, I I just didn't know what to do with it because Mm. he was praying to Jesus, not just praying in Jesus name, he was praying to Jesus. And I I didn't, but it it was really helpful because I said, I thought, hold on, what, you know, and Mason, you said this in last week's discussion Mm. that, you know, you know, the father sent the son, the son, uh, the, the son was sent by the father, the, 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 the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit uh, emphasizes what the son is doing. I mean, the, so the, I think the mistake is thinking that there, we have to choose one. Mm. And again, in our own understanding, we have three different gods. And he goes, no, I'm not three, I'm three in one. And we try to explain it in different ways. I, the beauty is, I, th- I think one of the mistakes we make is emphasizing one over the other. Mm. And, you know, it'd, it'd be like emphasizing that my wife is uh, a, a mother. Well, she is. She's at, we have two children, but that's not all that she is. Or just emphasizing that she's my wife and, and forgetting that she's a mother or that she's a daughter because her mother lives with us. And she's all those things. Mm. And if I'm going to truly it's know my word. wife, I need to know all of her. So do we pray to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I would say yes. Uh, you know, and, and, and be comfortable within that. Uh, I do think, and Mason was just talking about that. I've come to believe that my understanding of God, how I view him is incredibly significant in how I live my life more than I, I ever comprehended. I, 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 I've, this year I've come to realize that I, I love my dad, my physical earthly dad, but he's a, a little distant, a little aloof. He doesn't share very much. And I realized that I had kind of created God in God the Father in his image. Mm. And so I, got, I know God loves me. I know he cares for me. And if I need him, he'll come and help me. But on a day-to-day basis, he's way out there. And, sure. uh, and that's, that's my dad physically. That's not my heavenly father. And, and uh, so I just think how we view God is really, and as you said, just to sit with that sum and, and uh, ponder that and share with other guys in your group would be a great thing. How do I really view God? 
that's if super I can, helpful. Yeah. If I can add really quickly, practically to yeah. praying to God, one is a Joe's answer is also biblical, right? Acts 7, Stephen prays to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think the reality there is, are we praying to um, the, that person of the Godhead according to who they are, right? Like, mm. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Yes, yeah. Father, thank you for sending him. Yeah. Spirit, thank you for revealing for, for, him to me. Yeah. And for Spirit, dwelling in me. Yes, yes for yeah. dwelling in me. Spirit, guide me as I go into this meeting, mm. right? Simple prayers like that. Like, there's beauty and wonder in knees, on your knees prayer for hours at a time, but there's also beauty and wonder of getting in my car. I've got six minutes. Spirit, I'm, I'm anxious today. Mm. I'm mad right now. God, help me see, mm. and, and praying to according to who God is. God, you're patient and kind. Spirit, help me see his patience and kindness mm. and live out of that, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of simple, practical, succinct way of pray to who does what, right? Within the mm. triune. I think also <laughs> there's just this underlying tone that like, again, in the context, this is the last thing Jesus models for us behavior-wise before he goes into the hardest thing he faces. Mm. Uh, is that he, he mm. I think this screams to us the importance, the necessity of prayer. Uh, there is a, a Scottish minister. I really wanted to try to say this in a Scottish accent, but I'm from Bullock <laughs> County, so that would just be so bad. Uh, his name's Robert Murray McShay, and there's a quote from him that says, What a man is on his knees before God... That he is and nothing more. Uh, there's, we've talked a lot about humility uh, over the past week or so and, and how understanding who God is and, and what that does to us uh, and puts us in a state of humility before him, uh, acknowledging who he is. And I think just, again, just to reiterate, Jesus models for us the necessity, the priority of prayer. Um, but yeah, let's keep chugging in the text. So mm. let's jump down to verse 5 which it says, uh, and now father glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. So we're going to talk for a moment and I would love to hear from both of you all. This may start a little bit as a heady conversation, but I, I, I think there are a lot of, of, of men who grew up in traditions that maybe uh, appreciated the creeds that some of us don't. Mm. Uh, maybe you grew up reciting the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's, there's phrases and titles and truths that are just wired in you and you don't even know where they came from. I know that's true of me. Uh, but one of those truths is that Jesus is the eternally begotten Son of God. Um, and again, in verse 5, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So before anything was created, Jesus was there. John opens his gospel, screaming this point. Um, And so I I would just love to dive into, uh, for a few moments, why that's important. Why that is, if we want to develop a confident and competent understanding of the Jesus of the Bible... This clearly seems to be something that sets him apart from others. Uh, so why is it important to understand that Jesus is not a created being, but he is the eternally begotten, we could say, son of God? Either one of you all can jump in on that. Go ahead, Joe. No, you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> um, I'd say it reveals his divinity. Mm-hmm. It shows him as God. And it's right before he goes and physically dies, which shows us humanity. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, like I think this kind of helps me see that we talked about Jesus as mediator last week, but when we see, oh, he lived the perfect life, we can almost think like, okay, out of the 48 trillion people who have lived, 
one guy got it right and is going to God and being like, hey, 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 Mason's not that bad. Mm -hmm. But in reality, he was there at the beginning. Mm -hmm. John 1, he was a part of creation. Mm -hmm. Um, And it says it was creation came through him. God Mm -hmm. created, the Father created there through Jesus. And so um, it shows that he is not a... uh, a secondary um, subordinate part, but that mm-hmm. he is God, one mm-hmm. of the three persons of the Godhead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm good with that. Yeah. Well, just going along with that, Mason, because there are some religions that uh, acknowledge that Jesus uh, was a man, a good man, a prophet, but they, they don't, they don't, uh, they don't place him as God himself. And it's interesting, even the apostles here, it, it, you just mentioned about John and John 1 says this. Well, John himself right now, you know, they would say, yeah, we believe that you came from God, but they're not to the point yet of saying you are God. Hmm. And so it's not even just that he came from God. No, no, you are God. Hmm. And uh, uh, so even as they're tracking through this, yeah, yeah, we believe you came from God but they're still not quite there. And I I think that's where many of us are. You know, we believe different things, but can we get to that place of truly his glory is that he is God himself. And yet he has also came and lived Mm. among us. And um, so that that is, I do think we have to, that's one of those unnegotiables is that Jesus Christ is God himself. Uh, Not just sent from God, but he is God himself. Amen. And that elevates what he does. Yes. Right? Philippians 2 the God of the universe emptied himself, Self, became yes. a servant. On and we quote this too much, but it no. is—it's a picture of him setting his glory aside yeah. in order that we might know him and live with him. And so yeah. I think it—it it, it just raises the the honor he's deserving of, absolutely, by helping us see him as a God who became man, who yeah. became a servant, who died to the, yeah, even death on a cross. Yeah. And that is the picture of love. Yeah. yeah. Like we say we love baseball games, but like that, that he would lay that aside, put on flesh, and not just humble himself to death, but death on the cross. Yeah. And I, I think that's that thing, you know, we're never going to fully comprehend his glory mm-hmm. in this lifetime. But uh, my, my challenge for me personally, and for all of us men, is don't assume that I've got enough. You know, allow that to continue like, oh, wow, he's greater than I ever imagined. Mm-hmm. He's better than I ever thought. He's, it's deeper than I, you know, just allow ourselves to continue. Because in, in eternal life, we will know him. But we can begin to experience that more and more now. Amen. And, uh, and that does change our life and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Let's keep chugging. Yeah. Uh, verse six. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they are, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Uh, This idea of revelation of of things being revealed is kind of this idea that we get a lot, uh, well, we've talked about it being the work of the Spirit. We talked about Mm -hmm. that a couple weeks ago, that he came to to reveal, to show, to testify Mm -hmm. to who Jesus is uh, and convict the world of sin, specifically of sin regarding that they didn't believe in Jesus and who he was. Um, But this idea of revelation, of revealing, um, you often get the the imagery of a veil being lifted, uh, that when when Jesus' words are spoken so often it seems they fall on ears that can't hear. Mm. Um, 
but to those that the Spirit would open those ears to hear the truth of his word. Um, I just think it's worth noting that we see that here in the text, that he's saying, God, I know this is how you work. And I think when we get an image of how God works, I I think it's worth noting because um, it helps us to reflect and to see where, like you had mentioned, Joe, that prior we thought we had an understanding. Mm -hmm. And then the deeper we go into the well... You're like, oh man, he's so much better than that. Now I get it. And then you go deeper into the well. And it's just this endless well of living water that uh, as we dive into who God is, uh, we're constantly humbled by that. Um, What I would love though to hone in on is verse eight, where he says that I gave them the words that you gave me and they have accepted them. Um, And from that, they knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. And this idea that God sent Jesus is this recurring theme we've seen, but he gave them God's words and they accepted it. I would contend that there is probably a lot of people out there who know a lot of things that are in this book. Mm. And they may even be right in how they portray those, those words, those ideas, those ideologies, uh, but they don't know him. Uh, And there's plenty who know these words and they don't accept them. So there's certainly a piece to this puzzle that requires the acceptance of those words um, to take root in us. So I I would kind of ask of both of you guys, Mm -hmm. uh, what are some things that maybe get in the way of us accepting the word? Uh, And then what are maybe some things that have helped you to receive the word? Because it... A preacher can get on a stage and throw a lot of words at somebody and it seems like it's as simple as, well, either I'm going to agree with that or not. Mm -hmm. But there's this idea of revelation. There's this idea of the work of the Spirit. And so what are some things that get in the way of us, like help us on defense to recognize what gets in the way of us receiving these words? But then on offense, like what are some things that you have seen in your own life that have helped you receive the words of Jesus? I'll go first on this one. And I just... Uh, as somebody who uh, uh, focuses on adult spiritual development, how do adults, how do men uh, come to truly know God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son? Uh, I, I think, you know, you can do some things, but ultimately, almost always what I've seen, it's a moment of brokenness mm. that that changes all that. Because, I mean, again, back on what stops us from truly knowing him or accepting the words of Jesus, almost always is our own self-sufficiency, our own pride, our own desire to work it out. And it's it's almost always, as I, in my own life, and I talk to other people, at this place of brokenness, this place of, in my own life, I remember sitting in the living room of my house after having just gone through a divorce as a as a 25, 26-year-old guy. I'd been in church all my life, but it was in that moment that I came to know Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, not for, he had, I had accepted him as my savior, but I didn't know him. Mm-hmm. You know, and back here it says, Jesus says you know, in verse three, this is eternal life, that they may know you only the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That almost always happens in my experience in a moment of brokenness. Mm-hmm. So uh, just yesterday talking to a lady and she was telling me her whole story and her whole story goes back to a time of brokenness and that's when she came to truly know God and be known by him. And again, I think then it continues on. But for me, 
we, we avoid those moments of brokenness, but they are, God redeems them so often. So yeah. I'll just Amen. throw that out there. It's a nice, pleasant way to start. Yeah, that's uh, helpful. Yeah, because when we're desperate, we tend to know him. Yeah. We're humble. Yeah, we're humble. Yeah. yeah, needy. I'd say things that get in the way of me believing are kind of, I, I flip the order, right? So Jesus says, be accepted and then obey. He talks about that. Like that's kind of the formula. I want to obey in yeah. order to be accepted. accepted. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that is both the defense and the offense to answer your question is the defense is, um, am, I, am I obeying to earn God's love mm. or am I uh, offensively, am I obeying out of enjoyment? Mm-hmm. How do I pursue enjoying God? And what mm-hmm. you've mentioned and what scripture m- mentions is the more I know him, the more I enjoy him. He doesn't become less pleasurable over time. Right. The, the, the greater uh, into him you run, the more magnificent he seems, the better you perceive the reality and wonder of who God is. And so I would say, are you obeying to earn? Or are you obeying out of enjoyment? Those mm-hmm. are kind of the things that get in the way of my walk with him. Um, really perceiving him for who he is. Which takes us right back to his Piper quote, that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied. satisfied. In him. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, fellas, we're again gonna throw the questions up on the screen for you all to dive into, but Mason, do you mind will you close us in prayer? Gladly. Father, we thank you for um, giving us grace. Um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that is what we see here in this passage is um, disciples who are who they are because Jesus has revealed himself and his father to them. And then he would go and um, pay for sins by dying on a cross and then bring into new life those men and us in his resurrection. And so we praise you for that. I pray that as guys go to discussion, um, that you would help them... Um, understand weird terms like glory, but God, that you would also give them grace for, the, for the, our lack of comprehension, <laughs> that you would help us um, trust you uh, as we grow in our understanding with you, that we, you would help us be patient as you patiently father us. For the men who um, are expanding their perception of you as a father, just nourish them with your love. Show them how good of a father you are and let them function out of that. As you sent your son, let us see what what a good and faithful brother he is to us and savior he is to us and Lord he is to us. And as he sent the spirit, let us trust in him as a guide, um, as a counselor, uh, pushing us further into uh, who Jesus is and who you are, Father. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.